96 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to calm your dogs after your neighbors shoot off fireworks on New Year's Eve. Why I oughta? Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about board game resolutions and challenges. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Draw Your Own Conclusions, Mystery House, Grand Austria Hotel, and Chocolate Factory. Then, we talk about gaming-centric New Year's resolutions and challenges, and how they can change the way you interact with board games. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. Ambie, it looks like you've been playing some games recently, which is pretty exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I've been actually able to play a lot more than I thought I would. Recently, one of the games I played is Draw Your Own Conclusions, which is a review copy I got from Gray Fox Games. Gray Fox Games. Shout out to Gray Fox. (laughs) They're our sponsor. This is actually the first time I've asked for a review copy because we mentioned it in the last episode and I was like, oh, I think that sounds like a cool game. Can I get a review copy? So I did. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we they've sent over a couple of things in the past. I got uh, Champions of Midgard from them and War of the Worlds. So this isn't like they do send us games when we want them, but it's just not. We haven't taken full advantage of it probably yeah. in the past. So anyways, Draw Your Own Conclusions is a cooperative party game where you're drawing things, <laughs> hence the name. But in the game, you're drawing pictures and trying to get people to guess it. So everyone except for one person is drawing a picture and... Everyone's drawing pictures at the same time. So if you have a group of five people, you're going to have five pictures total. And then everyone's going to get one to guess. So, but the trick is that each person only has one shape that they can draw. So I can draw circles. Someone else can draw squares. And then you're passing it around. So I'm trying to draw like a boat. If I only have circles and someone else has like a triangle, then maybe I could be like, oh, they're going to be drawing like the sail and maybe like the base of the boat and I can just draw circles to make it look like water or something. I don't know what circles would be for a boat, but but you're trying to work together without telling people what you have because then you pass it and they see what the word is. And then, so like there's this weird drawing made up of different shapes. I have some pictures on Twitter that I posted when we played and then someone guesses. So it's a pretty quick, fun game. We actually played it with three players first, which is not as fun. So it plays three to eight, I think. And with three players, you only have two shapes. So it's not really enough to draw a picture and get people to guess. So we we lost like twice in a row. And only when we got lucky with the shapes working out perfectly with the picture, like someone had a circle and then the thing was hula hoop and then we were able to do it then. But um it, it was really hard with three players. And there are also varying difficulty of words. Like one of the words was crib and one of them was float plane, which I wasn't really sure what it was. So there was no way I would guess that. Is that one of those planes that lands on the water? I think so. <laughs> like that's what I would guess is like, yeah, they have like buoys on the bottom yeah. of it or whatever. And it lands and takes off from water. Yeah. Yeah. But then like seeing a picture of that, I wouldn't guess that probably those those words would not come to mind i'd be like uh a plane on water (laughs) yeah but then we played it with five players and it was a lot better with five players we were actually making decent drawings and guessing and one of my friends said she liked it better than telestrations so that's pretty neat it kind of feels like it's almost a combination of telestrations and uh, a fake Fake artist artist. to new york yeah yeah cool so yeah that's draw your own conclusions well 
I, it's funny, we're kind of reversing roles a tiny bit in this episode because I'm going to talk about some Euro games that I've played recently. (laughs) I recently got to play Grand Austria Hotel for the first time, uh, which it was published in 2015, designed by Clemens Franz, lots of different publishers, so I'm not even going to try and name who the most recent one is. In Grand Austria Hotel, each player is controlling a hotel and is trying to attract customers feed those customers, and place them into hotel rooms. A group of dice are rolled every round and then allocated based on what pip value they show to five available actions. Then the players draft the dice from the action board in a snake or serpentine manner. So first player to last, last player back to first. And those will show what actions you can do. And based on how many dice are on each action, that means how strong that action is, depending on what it is. The actions are things like hiring staff for your hotel, preparing food and drinks, prepping your hotel rooms to receive guests, and collecting money or advancing on the emperor track. Oh yeah, the emperor comes by every few rounds and you have to impress him because otherwise you get punished. It's a little bit weird, uh, but it's fun. So pros of this game, there's a lot of interesting decisions to be made and the theme works really well with the mechanics. I think it's not the most thematic game I've ever played, but for a game where you're running a hotel, it actually felt fairly natural, the things you are doing, preparing food, serving the food to the customers, sending the customers into hotel rooms, all of that felt really nice. Cons for me personally of this game, this is one of those games that for me, it gave me that constant feeling of, I can't do all of the things I want to do. Because you only get two main actions each round in that serpentine draft. And every round I was like, I need to do at least three things. (laughs) So I know some people like having, you know, a not enough actions to complete all they want because it makes the decisions more interesting. But for me, it's just a little stressful. I did enjoy the game. It's not my favorite, but I can see why so many people love it. So yeah, uh, Grand Austria Hotel. Have you played this one before, Ambie? Yeah, I played it once. Um, I don't really like dice Euro games, so it wasn't my type of game. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually, when we played it, I compared it to The Voyages of Marco Polo. Mm -hmm. It's not really similar mechanically, but it gave me in my brain kind of a similar feeling. Like I can see why other people really love this, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't scratch the right parts of my brain. Yeah. So, so that is Grand Austria Hotel. I also got to play Mystery House recently, which is one of the new escape room type games. So Mystery House is a game that comes with a three-dimensional house. Well, the box is a house. It's got a bunch of like windows in it and you put these cards in there in a grid so you can look through the sides of the box and see the cards. And if you take out a card, then you can see through and it's kind of like opening a door. You might want to look up pictures online of what it looks like. Yeah, it's hard to describe this, I think. Yeah. So the base game, Mystery House, comes with two modules in it. So each each adventure basically comes with a bunch of cards and you put that in the house and then you also get items from the cards. And it's there's an app that you use as well. I like the concept of it, but not the execution. So I thought it was really neat looking through the open spaces and windows because like whatever you can see, you go to the app and then you press that location and then you press what you see and to explore it. And then you can get items or something. But it was kind of hard and I needed to use a flashlight because you're looking deep into the house behind these cards and it's kind of dark. Also for the app, there were some strange words for some of the things. Like there was like a really obscure word for a dresser. So like if you want to look at a dresser, you have to find the word on the app that means that. 
Is it like chiffonade or something? I, I don't remember, but... I think that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, so, so I was like looking at all the words and then we're like, oh, maybe it's this word. And I looked it up and yeah, yeah, that's what we want. So, but most of the time the words were fine, but sometimes it was weird, which kind of took away from the experience. So then there's puzzles in, in the game and some of them were good, but some of them weren't linked thematically or stylistically. So like there would be different clues throughout the areas and different items that you get that were the same puzzle, but there was no way to know that they were the same puzzle because they weren't like artistically the same or thematically the same or in the same location. So I thought that was weird. But the app gave pretty good hints. It told you like where to go next and like which things you needed. So that helped out. But then sometimes the app would give you hints of things you already knew or already had, which the app should know because you already plugged into the app to get those things. So it should skip over those hints, I think. So I think the app could be better. And I think the games could be better because some of the puzzles weren't very good. So <laughs> we were kind of disappointed in the experience, even though like the idea of it was really cool. It was just frustrating to play. And we actually got rid of the game after playing the two scenarios because even though there's probably going to be expansions, we just decided it's not worth keeping it to wait for expansions that hopefully might be better. So that was a mystery house. I, uh, I gifted this to somebody in my game group for Christmas um, mm -hmm. and I'm curious about it. So would you liken the, like looking into the windows to try and see certain things? Is that kind of similar to the mechanic in unlock where you're having to look for tiny numbers like basically sometimes like, okay because <laughs> yes. like it feels like in theory this would at least make more sense than the yes. unlock part of that you know like but why it's are harder you for a... okay because you're looking like it's further in... away and it's in shadows and then it's still a small number so then it's like really hard to see sometimes so yeah and I feel like in a normal escape room not a game but like an actual escape room there are things that you kind of have to discover but they mm -hmm. the, they're not necessarily like hidden in a way that makes them hard to see it's just yeah. like something that doesn't you don't know it's important until you realize it's important yeah and also like in a normal escape room you can physically go there like this is supposed to it was supposed to be simulating that you're physically opening the doors and going through the rooms but then it's really hard to see inside but like in a normal escape room, we would physically be in there. So then you would be able to see the things better. You'd be able to yeah, get up <laughs> yeah. close and see yeah. all the stuff. Okay. Well, that's kind of a bummer. I actually was really looking forward to this. I still probably am going to play it just because I like yeah. escape room games so much. But yeah, it sounds like uh, Suzanne Sheldon over at the Dice Tower podcast mm -hmm. had similar thoughts about this one, if I remember correctly. So I will go in with tempered expectations <laughs> whenever I do play it. For my second game today, I'm talking about, what, another Euro game? Crystal, what are you doing? Uh, so I'm going to be talking about a newer one, Chocolate Factory, published in 2019 by Alley Cat Games, uh, designed by Matthew Dunstan, Brett J. Gilbert, and David Digby. So in Chocolate Factory, each player is running their own chocolate factory, complete with a moving conveyor belt. I have to say up front, I was very disappointed that there were no like references to I Love Lucy in any of the parts of this game. And I wanted Lucy with a hat stuffing chocolates in her mouth. I know that that doesn't make any sense for the game itself, but that's what I wanted. Something like a tiny nod, whatever, it's fine. 
In Chocolate Factory, players obtain new factory parts to upgrade their conveyor belt to make it more efficient, and they hire specialists that will give them special abilities and allow them to sell the chocolates they're making on their conveyor belt uh, to different stores and shops. The parts and specialists are obtained via a snake draft. Just like I talked about in Grand Austria Hotel, this is another game with a serpentine draft where you draft items first player to last player and then last player back to first player. But in this one, the draft, you're drafting from two different pools of items and you only get one of each. So the draft order sometimes doesn't matter because if you've already, if you're the first player and you've already taken a specialist, then that means your second pick has to be a factory part. So at a certain point, you might not, like, you don't have any, like, opportunity to choose the second one, even if you're not the last one to pick. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it does. It's weird. I didn't like it. <laughs> Once the draft is complete, all the players then operate their conveyor belt. You take unrefined cocoa and push it into your factory. Your factory is a board that has a recessed part in the middle, and you're actually pushing tiles into your conveyor belt line with the cocoa on them and then using the factory parts that are above and below the line to change the cocoa into chocolate and then upgrade the chocolate into other fancier types of candy. Component-wise, brilliant. So good. I just have to say that up front here. So you're upgrading all your candy, and then you're selling candy to the stores that are on the main board and smaller shops that you have on cards next to your own player board. So they're unique for each player. Um, and then at the end of the game, you score points based on how well you did selling to the shops in front of you and the main stores on the board. But it has a unique mechanism where so you can only score for the stores on the main board if you scored at least half as many points in each store as the player ahead of you. So let's say player one scores eight points in the green shot or green store. If player two didn't score at least four points, they don't score anything. So it's one of those games where you can't have a runaway first place necessarily, or you can't like, if you let them run away with it, then you don't get anything. You can't like scooch into second place. Does that make sense? Like, you can't just score one point in a shop to get second okay. if there's only one other player. there, You yeah, have yeah. to score at least half as many as them. This felt very thematic, especially more so than most engine building games that I've played. And the components really are spectacular. The little candies are all different wooden shapes. There's different types of chocolate bars. There's little wrapped candies. There's uh, boxes of chocolates that are light blue and fancy looking. Uh, very, very cool components. There are a whole bunch of cons, though, for this one, at least for me. It is way too easy to be shut out of what you need based on the draft. And there's a specific reason for that. So when you're drafting specialists, you get one specialist from each store that is on the main board. The specialists each have unique player abilities. And they dictate what store you're able to sell to at the end of the round. So if you want to sell to, let's say, that green store but you need a specialist ability that isn't from the green store, then you're kind of stuck because you either take the specialist you need and can't sell your things to the store you need to, or you take the specialist for the store you need and you don't, the special ability isn't as good. Also, depending on when you are in the draft, it's entirely possible that you'll have a bunch of candy already sitting on your conveyor belt and other people will draft the specialists for the stores where that candy can be sold to because each store takes a different type of candy. So, it, there were multiple rounds where like other people would draft things and I'd be like, yeah, there's nothing I can do now. Because you've already built your engine up to create certain types of candy. And if you can't sell that candy anywhere, 
then you're just kind of stuck. Then it, your candy just gets burned in your incinerator and turned into coal for fueling yeah. future candy, basically. The other thing that unfortunately is bad about this game is how fiddly it is. I oh. love the fact that you're moving that conveyor belt along the little tiles and actually doing things, but it is way too easy to accidentally <laughs> cheat, screw stuff up, or forget like what you've done already. Because you can use each ability in your factory parts once per shift, and a shift is moving a single tile into your conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. But like... I would forget, okay, wait, did I already use that ability this shift? Because you already had candy sitting on your board from the previous round. Mm -hmm. And I would often not be certain what I had done. (laughs) And I don't want to cheat, but like, it was too hard to keep track of the things going on on your own board. So thematically and in concept, I was very excited about Chocolate Factory, but the execution just didn't quite work for me. So yeah, I think... It's a good thematic engine building game, but probably not one that I'm going to be seeking out another play of in the near future. Oh, that's unfortunate. It sounds really cool, like the conveyor belt thing. But yeah, I guess this is an example where theme kind of gets in the way of gameplay if it's too thematic. I don't know. Yeah, it's really not the theme. I think it's just the the execution of how... It's not one that I would tell people to avoid, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like, I think, especially with repeated plays, once you got really used to how things work, I think it would be easier. But Mm -hmm. for a first-time play, it was difficult. Um, And you weren't able to manipulate the factory parts after you placed them. So if you placed something on your board in, like, a bad spot and it wasn't doing what you wanted it to, there's no way to mitigate that later. Mm -hmm. So that's also very not first-time player-friendly. So that was Chocolate Factory. Since it is our first episode of the new year, happy 2020, everyone. Yeah. Like, it's it's the 2020s. It's the roaring 20s. How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't know. Seems like we're getting old is all it seems like. <laughs> Um, But we wanted to talk a little bit about gaming resolutions and gaming challenges. It seems like this type of thing comes up every year at the beginning of the year. Lots of people like to give themselves challenges for the year uh, or set resolutions based around their board gaming hobby. And so we thought it would be interesting to discuss what some of that consists of. Yeah, and one really popular one is a 10 by 10 challenge, which was created by Sarah Reed. Yay, Sarah is a friend of the show. We love her. And yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that she created the 10 by 10 challenge. So it was a long time ago, right? Oh, a very long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, but then like there's other spinoffs like 100 by 1 or there's been like 5 by 5s and other ones. I don't know. Number by number, basically. Yeah, it's basically saying this many games you're going to play this many times yeah. so 10 games 10 times each or 100 games one time each that kind mm-hmm. of stuff yeah so have you ever done one of those challenges i have never done one of these challenges i have considered it but for me personally unsurprising i'm a very high strung person uh, i have a lot of stress and anxiety in my life just naturally and i think forcing myself to play games in a prescribed way would only add to my stress and anxiety. I don't think it would cause good feelings for me. I think it would just make things worse. Um, And I don't want to lessen my enjoyment of the hobby. And for the record, I'm not criticizing anyone who does these challenges and finds benefit in them. I think they are great. And I'm so happy that they are cool things for other people to do. It just doesn't work for me personally. Yeah. 
I actually did the 10 by 10 once back in, I think, 2014 with the intention of just playing a bunch of the games that I had and getting deep into them. And so I had picked 10 to do, but by the end of the year, those 10 weren't the ones that I ended up doing 10 of, but I did complete 10 by 10, just not all of the 10 that I had initially chosen because some of them I actually got burned out on or we stopped playing or like it was a game that my friend owned and then my friend didn't want to play it anymore. So, (laughs) but I did end up doing 10 games 10 times. So I kind of liked that it made me play games that I had more, but then I also got burned out on some of those games and felt like I had to play them. And I did not like that part. So I haven't done a challenge since then. I think that's what I've been afraid of is the burnout specifically. Yeah. But do you do you recall offhand whether it gave you a deeper appreciation for any of the games that you included as part of it? Or like, um, did you learn anything new about any of those games? Because in my mind, that would be one of the benefits in theory. Playing a game multiple times, maybe new strategies would emerge or you would get a greater appreciation for the mechanisms or conversely, maybe you would realize, oh, wow, this game on repeated plays gets more boring because there isn't something better to do or something like that. Yeah, I don't actually remember which games were on the list, so um, I'm not sure. But I I do remember there were some that I think I think Eldritch Horror might have been on the list. And that was one that I switched out because we got tired of playing it. I mean, that's a, that's a long game. So playing that <laughs> even 10 times in a year, unless you're super dedicated, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, because we had got, we played it like a lot of times that we got together with our friend because we actually didn't own it. But then we wanted to play other games when we got together with him. So yeah, so that was a mistake putting that on the list, I think. <laughs> I think one of the benefits of these challenges is they're not real world consequence type things Mm -hmm. so you can start a challenge and then change it or modify it or do whatever you want no one's gonna you know criticize you if you don't complete a gaming challenge (laughs) Uh, I know some people criticize themselves for such things but you shouldn't you should enjoy your hobby the way you want to enjoy it yeah and another challenge that I've done um is not buying any new games this feels more like a resolution I guess yeah yeah It's a a challenge of sorts, though. (laughs) Yeah, so we we decided, I think it was the same year, 2014, that we weren't going to buy any new games. So I guess that kind of worked well with doing a 10 by 10. (laughs) (laughs) That does make sense. Like, if we're not buying new stuff, we got to play the stuff we have. So I'm not actually sure which challenge resolution, like, actually helped us play our games more. But our resolution was not to buy any new games, except for Android Netrunner data packs, because we were really into Android Netrunner that year. So I think I liked that resolution better because it did get us to play the games that we had more. And we played a lot of Android Netrunner. Um, yeah, but then we also went to the store a lot because because of Netrunner. Netrunner was <laughs> a different story. It was story. a thing for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a different story. So, um, but, but like whenever we went to the store, we'd see a game that maybe we want and we're like, nope, we're not buying it. So that was somewhat relieving because we had a reason not to buy anything. So a little less stressful because we didn't have to pick what games we wanted. We just like, no, we're not buying anything, which was a little relieving. And that that was the year before you and I met even. Yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but then I remember like January 1st of the next year, we bought like five games or something. <laughs> so <laughs> so you're, you're like somebody who hasn't drank like soda in three months and you're like, I need a soda really bad. <laughs> yeah. So... 
I don't actually know how effective that is if you just buy a bunch of canes after the year. I mean, you probably would have bought more than five over the course (laughs) of the entire year. Could you see yourself doing the no buying of new games for an entire year at this point? Um, I'm not sure. No, well, no, because all the escape room games. No, <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's interesting, and I it's weird. It's different for you and I probably mm-hmm. because I think when you have a podcast, you <laughs> like no one is forcing us to play new games. Yeah, but I want to, and yeah. I that's part of what makes I think having a podcast a good thing for me is I've always wanted to try new games. Mm-hmm. I am not a person who wants to play a game over and over and over and over again. In fact, if you guys have looked at my tracked plays, admittedly, I've only been tracking now for what, like three years, but I don't tend to play a single game tons and tons of times. My most played game is Strike, (laughs) because it takes like five minutes. But yeah, I don't tend to play the same games over and over, so... I want to play new stuff. I'm compelled to play new stuff. And sometimes I really do enjoy digging into an old favorite, but I like discovering new things. That's one of my favorite parts of this hobby. Yeah, I like that too. But I'm like half and half. I like playing old favorites, but I also like discovering new things. And usually we do the new things at conventions, just play a bunch of games. Like the 100 by 1 challenge, we completed that just at BGGCon, I think last year <laughs> like I would have completed that 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 is not a challenge for me if I go to a convention but now I'm not going to be going to a convention so I'll probably buy more games this year no wait hold on so hold on <laughs> I know you guys got a lot of plays in at BGG but did you actually play a hundred different games or just a hundred I think at the last one I did for the record I'm not trying to doubt you but that that I know in my head that feels like how like how did you because because each year we're doing more and more because it wasn't just all tiny, short, quick games. I mean, you did play a bunch of those too, but like you played some really long games at BGGCon last year. Yes. Well, but there's also a lot of quick games. Like we would play the dexterity games and then we try like these little quick games that they have. <laughs> but even still, that's like 20 new games every day. I can't even fathom doing yeah. something like that. Okay, I found it. So it wasn't 100 different games. It was only 76 different games. Okay, so that's, I I mean, admittedly, that is still a lot and should not be discounted. But I was like, 100 felt like like It was 102 plays. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we did play some games multiple yards. In five days, it's still a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that was our record, I think. But yeah, like the 100 by one in a single year, I've done, I think, every year since you and I started the podcast, at least, probably before that, too, um, 100 different games. Because again, I do play like a lot of new games, especially when I go to conventions. So that wouldn't be a challenge for me. So doing the 100 by one doesn't make any sense, because what's the purpose of a challenge if you're going to meet it just in the way you live your life normally? Yeah, true. There's another thing that I've seen other people do that I've actually considered, and that is playing every game in your collection that you've never played before. So every unplayed game Mm. in your collection. And I'm sure people outside of the hobby would hear this and think it was silly. Like, wait, why would you buy a game and then not play it? But I know, here, real real talk, friends. I know that you all know what what I'm thinking here and what I'm doing. And you, you feel the same guilt that I feel about those games on your shelf going unloved. And it's okay. It's okay, little games. I swear I'll get to you eventually or I'll sell you because at a certain point, I mean, I have games that I have owned for years 
literal years that I've never played before. And so I have considered trying to do this. Although, like, for me, I think it would be every game in my collection that's unplayed either has to get played or has to be sold. Like, I have to make one decision or the other. And it doesn't, you know, I don't have to do a certain thing for however many of them, but... Like, if, I, if a game is sitting unplayed, unless it is something that I am genuinely wanting for, like, collectible reasons, I should just be getting rid of it. Honestly, if I'm not going to play it, why keep it on the shelf? I'm just lazy, <laughs> I guess. And if it's just sitting there and it's not hurting anybody, I just leave it. And that's really not the most responsible way to handle things. So we would love to hear from you all. What gaming challenges or resolutions have you set for yourself this year? And how can we as a podcast help you hit those goals? Because <laughs> just because we're not participating in challenges doesn't mean we don't want to cheer you on in yours. So if you need some moral support, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or our Board Game Geek Guild, and we will help pump you up and get you ready to achieve those goals because you can do it. <laughs> Although usually a lot of the challenges revolve around like, playing old games and not getting all the new games and listening to podcasts is kind of <laughs> does not help with that I think oh then I you know what I apologize we're gonna not help at all good luck <laughs> and that's it for this week's board game blitz visit our website boardgameblitz.com for video and blog content as well as to get links to all our social media pages this episode was sponsored by gray fox games if you thought draw your own conclusions sounded fun you're in luck it's available now at your friendly local game store, or you can order it directly from grayfoxgames.com. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. We love feedback. Please rate and review us on your podcast provider so more people can discover us. We may even read your review on the show. Want to do more? For as little as $1 a month, you can listen to unedited episodes and join our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, I like your game collection. No diggity. We gotta play them all. Play them all. Bye, everyone. Bye. I kind of liked it, but then also, 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 what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And join our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitz Cares. Blitzkeers? Those good old Blitzkeers. I forgot to say bye. Because I was reading. (laughs) I like didn't finish reading the thing. I don't know. Okay. It's time for this week's alliteration puzzle, everyone. Last episode, right before our holiday hiatus, we asked you to retheme a deck building game about writing novels for people who helm aircraft that are liked by everyone they know. What game was that, Ambi? That was Popular Pilot Paperback. <laughs> Those popular pilots, they love their paperback. <laughs> all right, this episode, we are asking you again, the answer is going to be three words that all start with the same letter. And you're going to be retheming a game about classic movie monsters for large African herbivores who really want to eat, like right now. Good luck, everyone.